Welcome to the Monitor Daily Podcast. It's Thursday, February 29th. Thanks for joining us. I'm Clay Collins. And I'm Caitlin Babcock. In culture wars, labels get lobbed like grenades. You're ludicrously and dangerously woke, or you're a hopeless guardian of outmoded social mores. There's a zero-sum feel. Gains for some must carry costs for others. A layer beneath in affected communities are people just trying to live with dignity. Last May, a Monitor reporter wrote and spoke about the weaponized politics around health care for transgender people. What he stressed, a Monitor obligation to understand the nuance and bring it to readers. That's a requirement that Jackie Valley fulfills today from Oklahoma. Her compassionate report on the perspectives of individuals within the LGBTQ communities is a sober, agenda-free exploration and a very Monitor story. For a selection of top news briefs from The Wire services today, please go to csmonitor.com daily. Now, today's Monitor stories. Our first story. How the U.S. Supreme Court now rules in Donald Trump's immunity case could set important precedent on when presidents can be tried. The court also may be removing one key obstacle to a Trump comeback. Former President Donald Trump still faces legal perils on the path to November's election. But the Supreme Court may have just removed one of the largest such obstacles in his way. By agreeing to consider Mr. Trump's claim that presidents have absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for official actions taken while in office, justices have pushed back, by months, his trial and federal charges that he plotted to overturn the 2020 election. It is now possible that voters will go to the polls this year without a verdict in the case, the most consequential of special counsel Jack Smith's prosecutions involving the former president. Mr. Trump's approach to all of his recent criminal legal proceedings has centered on trying to slow them down as much as possible. If he can postpone them long enough, he might, as a newly elected president, be able to order federal charges dropped by the Justice Department or attempt to pardon himself for past crimes. His immunity claim has thus accomplished a key goal, even if the court rules against him in the end. The court has played into his strategy by agreeing to take the case, says Michael Gerhardt, professor of jurisprudence at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This story was reported by Peter Greer and Simon Montlake for The Monitor. When a transgender teen in Oklahoma died after being bullied, the culture wars ground into motion with accusations and allegations. But in talking with LGBTQ plus people in Oklahoma, a complicated picture emerges of steep challenges, but also a sense of home worth fighting for. To those in the LGBTQ plus community and their allies, next Benedict's death represents another life lost in an era of unrelenting attacks both in words and in actions. The transgender teen wound up at a hospital February 7th after a fight inside an Owasso High School bathroom, next collapsed at home the next day, and died after being rushed to a hospital. From where I'm standing, no matter what comes out of the final autopsy reports, no matter how that comes forward, the psychological bullying was the number one contributing factor to this teenager dying 
and no longer being able to have a real life, says Nandy Walker, an Owasso resident and member of Free Mom Hugs. In Oklahoma, where tradition and conservative Christianity reign supreme, Ms. Walker knows it will be a long walk and many hugs toward shifting mindsets. She's often the lone voice in her Latter-day Saints church advocating for acceptance of LGBTQ plus people. For Chris Holmes, who identifies as queer and non-binary, slow change at least offers hope. In many respects, they follow the playbook of their conservative Christian upbringing, get married young and have children. The decision to divorce and come out was incredibly difficult, filled with single parenting struggles, as well as initially strained family relationships. But Mix Holmes, who remains Christian, says it felt like coming back home to me and myself. After living in Oregon and Georgia, Mix Holmes also returned home to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is just a place that drew me back, they said. I feel like there's a lot of potential and opportunity for change. This story was reported by Jackie Valley in Owasso, Oklahoma, for The Monitor. Same-day border visits by both presidential frontrunners underscore how illegal immigration has become the top issue in the race. In a market change, President Joe Biden is going on the offensive. President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump made dueling visits to the U.S.-Mexico border on Thursday, each trying to shape the narrative on what's become the biggest issue of the 2024 campaign. Illegal crossings have hit historic highs on Mr. Biden's watch, and immigration now tops the list of Americans' concerns, ahead of inflation. It's also a serious political liability for the president. Nearly two-thirds of voters currently disapprove of Mr. Biden's handling of immigration. Mr. Trump, who has long made border security one of his signature issues, has been relentlessly trying to capitalize on that weakness, accusing the president of refusing to take steps within his power to stem the tide of migrants. But the political dynamic may have shifted somewhat after Mr. Trump pushed Senate Republicans to kill a bipartisan deal to beef up border security earlier this month, giving Democrats a rare opening to go on the offensive and argue that Republicans care more about winning elections than about actually fixing the situation. Republicans run the risk of being painted as obstructionist, says Dave Wasserman, senior editor and elections analyst with the Cook Political Report. He adds, it's up to the president and his campaign to prosecute that case. This story was reported by Krista Case Bryant and Sophie Hills in Brownsville, Texas, for The Monitor. Farmer protests in Europe pose a global question. How can governments make the shift to environmental sustainability politically sustainable? The farmers demonstrating around Europe in recent weeks have a number of grievances. But at the heart of the unrest is a policy challenge with much wider international implications. How can governments stem global warming and build more environmentally sustainable economies in a way that is politically sustainable as well? While the farmers' complaints vary from country to country, their protests have been eagerly embraced by right-wing populist parties. The parties are taking aim at the European Union's ambitious Green Deal, designed to make Europe the world's first climate-neutral continent by 2050. And the EU is wobbling. If EU countries are going to meet their targets, they cannot avoid the kind of measures their leaders have now retreated from, 
reductions in the use of diesel, and in the emission of hydrogen pollutants and methane from fertilizers and dairy farming. But those policies cost farmers money and will have to be subsidized. While climate change experts will be rooting for the EU to succeed, they are alarmed by its leaders scurrying retreat in the face of the farmer protests. They are worried that this smells of political panic and that it will encourage opponents of climate action to try to block, or at least whittle down, other key aspects of the Green Deal. This column was written by Ned Temko in London for The Monitor. In a nation focused on divisions, voices are rising for peace. One of these, the civil rights activist and nonviolence advocate who helped write the famous I Have a Dream speech, is finding new audiences. Clarence B. Jones is preaching nonviolence. At 93, this civil rights pioneer, who helped the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. write his I Have a Dream speech, is still combating hate. But these days, instead of leading protest meetings, Dr. Jones is reaching young audiences through new channels such as the Institute for Nonviolence and Social Justice and the Spill the Honey Foundation, with his recent memoir, Last of the Lions, and by starring last month in television's most expensive real estate, a Super Bowl ad to combat anti-Semitism. Each day, something happens that makes me more convinced of the power and the goodness of the soul of America, says Dr. Jones. There are deep veins of decency and love and compassion. Yeah, I know all about the violence. I know about the 643 mass killings in this country. I see what's going on at the border. I got all of that. But against all of that is the deep vein of decency that grounds America. Today, he says, his commitment is as intellectual as it is emotional. I know the power of nonviolence, he says of Dr. King's belief that, quoting him, there was no one whose soul is beyond redemption. This story was reported by Ali Martin for The Monitor. Dune, part two, arrives almost two and a half years after the first installment. With the possible exception of Lawrence of Arabia, film critic Peter Rayner writes, he's never seen so much sand in one movie. You can find the full review in today's issue. Now, commentary from the Monitor's editorial board on cooperation to build clean energy in harmony with nature. Last year, the world's largest offshore wind developer, Ørsted of Denmark, began work with the World Wildlife Fund to prove a point that restoration of reefs in Denmark's North Sea can bring back lost populations of oysters and horse mussels and could be done in harmony with giant wind farms. The five-year BioReef project, as it is called, aims to show that humanity can solve both the climate and the biodiversity crisis without conflict, says Bo Oxneberg, Secretary General of WWF Denmark. Much of Europe can now expect many more attempts to rehabilitate eroded waterways and landscapes, with the added goal of proving that humans can still thrive when they work in harmony with nature. On Tuesday, the European Parliament came together to give final passage to a nature restoration law. The law requires the bloc's 27 countries to restore at least 20% of the continent's land and sea areas by 2030 and 60% by 2040. These levels will help bring the scale and diversity needed for animals and plants to form a sustainable balance.
That's it for the news. You can find the full-length versions of these stories in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. For more Monitor audio, including our serial podcasts, go to csmonitor.com podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Come back tomorrow for a report from Senegal. As young people there await their first presidential election later this year, they must consider not only how they'll vote, but also whether voting is a useful tool for change in their country. It's a consequential question. Today's Christian Science Spiritual Perspective contributor shares how we can rely on God for strength and guidance, no matter what type of situation we find ourselves in. You can find the column in today's issue or at csmonitor.com daily. We want to give a quick thanks to our staff, including today's audio production team, Jeff Turton and Jasper Davidoff. This podcast is produced by the Christian Science Monitor in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Copyright 2024.